I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective on my world, and I'm your host, Revan Campbell. Today, I'm being joined by Jason. How are you, my friend? Doing fantastic. How are you today? I'm great, and I'm very happy that you could join me, especially because of the topic at the top of the show is one that you'd sent in. And actually, I think you've sent me a couple topics that I've sort of latched onto and used. So thank you. Uh uh, I, I enjoy your perspective on things, uh, even if, you know, I don't agree with it, which yeah. is fine. You, you generally come with a good uh, uh, a good reason and rationale with some good satanic principles to it. So I don't really need to agree. Yeah. It's it's all it's all well put together. So well, I but appreciate I, I appreciate you having me on and and uh, I appreciate people on chat and I'll try to hang with you. Yeah, well, it's going to be a good show. It is June 7th, and uh, like I said, we've got a great show. In The Devil's Advocate, we're going to be using, talking about, is shame a motivational tool? In The Infernal Informant, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, and the Weimar Republic, history's dark lessons. And we'll close it out with a bit of fun, with a bit of a conversation on uh, the creature feature about A Quiet Place Part 2. And that should be a whole lot of good times. <laughs> I'm hoping anyway. Uh, for those of you in the know, we're doing this an hour early so that we can get to something else. And for those of you out of the know, you're just not in the know. <laughs> All right, Gary, it's great to see you in chat. Thanks for joining. William, how you doing, man? Uh, thanks for joining live. Dallas, always great to see you. There's another Dallas out there floating with your name. You guys are going to have to fight to the death. Or at least like a, a pinky fight for the name. So I don't get confused. It's all for me. <laughs> Jason, uh, how you doing? Uh, Farith, thanks for joining live. Steph, what's up? Lazarus, you have risen. Good to see you. And Zachary, always great to see you. Mike North, what's up, homie? And Doc, of course. How you doing, Doc? All right, let's get into this. Um, have you had a good week? How has your week been? Uh, well, last week I was on vacation. I didn't actually have to go back to work until Wednesday, so I literally had a two-day work week, and that's about as good as you can get and still get paid. Yeah, that's great. <clears throat> Every time I go on vacation, there's a little bit of fear in the back of my head, like, okay, they've just replaced me. When I come back, they're not going to need me anymore. <laughs> or am I going to remember what my job is when I go right, back? Right. <laughs> too much fun can be a bad thing if you lose yeah, it. Yeah, we, we, my wife and I indulged, too, so we, we didn't mess around. We, we, we did our week right. Where did you, if you don't mind me asking, where did you head off to? Your vacation? Uh, we, we just did a staycation in, uh, here in Denver. We... Hit the zoo, hit a wildlife sanctuary, had new carpet put in. That's how you know you're old. Yeah. Went carpet thrills you. <laughs> that first step on new carpet. <laughs> it was, it was, but uh, heaven does exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Uh, home improvement is like a silent, like thrilling thing. You get. When you realize that you've just improved on something that you've been living in for so long, you're like, why haven't I done this before? We, we've, just, we've been living in squalor, and now we have fresh yeah, new we, carpet. Yeah, we, it, it was overdue by since we moved in like nine years ago. So, nice. right. so we finally got around to it. 
Well, <clears throat> let's dive in uh, to the first topic in the Devil's Advocate on the other side of this. image up here and we will dive into it. I want to ask everyone before we dive into this conversation, when you think of shame, what do you think of in your own life, in your personal context of the word shame? Uh, is it something that's used for motivation? Is it something you avoid? Is it something you've learned from or, or is it just something you deal out to other people? So think about that, maybe put it up in chat and we'll round on the other side of this and uh, catch up with what you have to say and sort of compare and contrast. Um, so Jason, you and I have, uh, had a little bit of a back and forth about this. You sent me this article and I think it's, um, I think it's a great point of discussion, but you had also mentioned you found a similar article. And even with those articles flaws that you had found, um, inherent with them, there was some bits of information that you found of value. Do you want to talk a little bit about, uh, those studies and how shame is used as a motivational tool in them? Uh, sure, and forgive me while I kind of look away to uh, look at my notes so I can get things right. Um, the first was actually a, a study, a paper done by an uh, uh, author named Lickle, uh, along with a handful of other people. And they did a couple different studies, just sent out questionnaires to multiple people, asking them about uh, certain situations, events that happened in their life, and they gauged um, uh, embarrassment versus regret versus guilt versus shame. They had a whole algorithm, put it all together. And what they found out is that in, in accordance with previous studies that, that, that indeed uh, above and beyond all the other emotions, shame was the one, uh, the one emotion that helped in it or arose in an individual that made them want to change something about themselves. Mm -hmm in order to um, prevent this type of event from happening again versus others which uh, like guilt focused on repairing the event, apologizing, giving you flowers, that type of thing where an embarrassment is just like, I did something kind of stupid, not really a big of a deal, but I don't ever want to talk about it again. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it happens to me a lot. <laughs> we heard the New York story. <laughs> That was uh, shame. <laughs> it went that far, huh? <laughs> yeah. And uh, the second article um, was, uh, as I was mentioning to you before, it was off, off a website call, called positivepsychology.com. And uh, from this article, it is exactly what it sounds like. It's just kind of like a new agey, internet-y, uh, help yourself type of thing. Mm -hmm. Kind of hokey, but uh, this article that Joaquin Silva, a psychologist, did, uh, did a great job, uh, uh, used different references than even the, uh, the first paper, but still came to the same conclusion. And that's what I found interesting about it is that two different entities used different sets of information yet still came up with the same, the same basic ending, mm -hmm. so to speak. So, um, 
so that's why I, de I decided to use it. Um, uh, shame, uh, like anything else, is a tool and can be used for either construction or destruction. Yep. And uh, some of the other articles I read just focused on the destructive part of it. So you're shaming somebody and it's you know it's just making them feel bad and it's not really helping them. Mm -hmm. uh, the constructive part is when you feel it yourself and you use that as actual motiv motivation to change. Uh, what both of these um, papers do uh, point out, however, though, is that what goes along with that shame is the desire to hide it, much like embarrassment, but even stronger so. And that um, desire to hide it can get in the way of of performing the change because right. if you don't if you don't recognize it if you don't accept it if you don't own it you're not going to act on it yeah and and so and so those two similar similarities too i found uh like re really interesting because uh, uh per perfecting the individual as satanists is what we should we're primarily about right we're yeah. not primarily but that should be a good portion of what we're doing as individuals for sure I, I really like this idea. Um, I think the, the biggest problem is that the way I've always seen shame was an external force pushing the shame or, or trying to prevent present the shame to someone who is ignorant to the situation. Like, they just don't right. feel it inherently. And so it's someone else or others pointing to them saying, you should be ashamed because of this behavior that you're exhibiting. Right. Or it's supposed to be a sort of a, a, a course correction tool used by, again, a community or a group that's, that's trying to give you a pathway to follow. So it's always about forcing change in an individual, but it's always from the outside directed as a negative force in order to inspire that internal change. Whether or not the person feels like they should or whether right. or not ultimately they can change. It's just you're not living up to a preconceived expectation. So shame on you for you know engaging in this behavior that we perceive as negative. I think this might be a good point to, to ask the question about shame is that if you're on an island and it's just you, I don't think anyone would ever have any shame. You would just live your life and do whatever you want. But the fact is, is most <laughs> of us live around other people and... <clears throat> behaviors around different people must fit a sort of social narrative. And if they stray from that, that's where the shame comes in. And I think we all like to think that it's this internal essence that we're, that the individual is going to feel. But the truth is, is there's depending on how you grew up, depending on whom you were grown up by, who you were raised by, you may not share those same values and the same idea of <clears throat> what shame is. Um, so do you think that shame is, is as a construct, is it only exists in a group dynamic? Uh, per personally, yes. And in the, uh, the research that I read goes along exactly that. It, it's, it's directly connected to the culture, the culture, the mores of, of the environment you're in, mm -hmm. family, the school you go to, church, you know, wh whatever, every... Uh, every single one of those 
those groups has a set of rules that everyone just agrees to follow. And if you violate those rules, that's where the different uh, embarrassment, guilt, shame comes in, depending on the level of your violation, so to speak. And, and so I, I think you're exactly right. If no other individuals around, there's nobody for you to offend enough for you to self feel shame and there's no one else to shove shame down your throat, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, so you asked this question in the email and I think it's a great one. Should Satanists even feel shame? <clears throat> like what, what is your answer to that? Uh, they should absolutely have the capability of it. Uh, and, um, this, despite the fact that as Satanists, we find ourselves to be the most important person on the planet, um, we still care about people. We can still hurt those we care about. Mm -hmm. And if we make that transgression, we should have the appropriate response to it yeah. and, and, not, and not, not pretend that we're, we're not human and we, and we don't have those emotions. We should, we should, we should own them because they exist and we have them. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about that because you're, you're talking about from the individual Satanist <clears throat> feeling that moving out, but what about using shame that others project onto us as a Satanist? Now, you know, we're going to run across this, whether, you know, we, we have a mm -hmm. somewhat similar background is that we come from a, a cult-like childhood, <laughs> you know, of a religious child upbringing. So they clearly from the external are immediately shaming mm -hmm. you in order to get you to behave certain ways or mm -hmm. think certain ways or, or to act or not act in certain ways. So as a Satanist, do you think that that's helpful in any way? Uh, Self-assessment, I think. Mm -hmm. If somebody is saying something to you instead of just outright saying, no, I don't think so, maybe absorb what they have to say, do a deep dive and decide is, is there any merit to anything that they're saying if there isn't then tell them they'll go screw and move on yeah. uh, but there is if there is a, a even a kernel of truth there it's it's up to us to recognize it and and deal with it and if uh if the event that they're trying to shame you for is indeed worthy of that that level uh then yeah use you use it um but that's yeah. That's where the self confidence comes in. That's where knowing yourself comes in, mm -hmm. and not just being subjected to uh, an arbitrary outside force. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, another part of this that we've been talking about is the idea that shame is a negative used to create mm -hmm. something that could either be positive or just a, a guiding principle. Uh, in the chat, Zachary brings up a really interesting point. Wouldn't Satanists? rather choose to indulge in shame rather than be compelled to. So wouldn't it be a positive for a Satanist to enjoy the idea of shame if, uh, you know, everyone else sees it as a negative and we're supposed to be, you know, sort of the highest embodiment of human life or the alien elite or however you want to phrase it. Um, we have a list of the seven deadly sins that uh, Catholicism has crafted that we indulge in. Wouldn't shame be a part of that, do you think? Uh, only for using their rules to run our life. Mm. Um, the, the only way we would be shamed is if we took their rules and if we broke them, feel bad about it, which 
we probably shouldn't be doing. Um, um, I, for for speaking for myself, of course, my my thing with shame would be I have my set of rules, mm -hmm. and if I violate those rules, whether I do it to somebody else or what have you, um, that that's where the shame comes from. So it's not really so much from okay, I, I indulged, I have premarital sex, you know, I, I you know all, all the other uh, rules that people try to force on you. Uh, I wouldn't feel. That, that, that shouldn't be a source of shame for us if we violate those because those rules don't even apply to us. Right. Mm. I think that's a, a good point because those seven deadly sins mm. are only sins based on the shame that is like sort of tacked onto the end by those religious entities or by those external mm. factors. Right. So shame in and of itself would not be what we want to indulge in. It is the thing that is causing the shame the supposed shame that we are indulging in that we're enjoying right know, whether that's lust or wrath or or uh you know just taking a couple hours and, and doing nothing during the day <laughs> a little bit of sloth there all right justin says a satanist should only feel shame when did satanist action when the satanist actions are self-destructive and a satanist should know the difference um I think that's interesting, but I don't know if that's shame because then it's immediately like shame is an, an, an amorphous emotional feeling. Not, I, I wouldn't call shame self-destructive, like right? Like, again, it's just a force behind an act. So I don't know. What do you think about that statement? Um, <clears throat> it, I, I mean, it can be the can be destructive, you know, um, I guess it, and it, I think it's all levels. It's, it's, it, how deep does the shame go? Did you do it to somebody else or you, are you only inflicting it upon yourself? Like, um, like for instance, you know, you're somebody who's like a needle drug user and they're trying like crazy to get off of it and they just can't, then they might have like an internal shame, like towards them, towards themselves. But generally, generally, if you're shamed, if you feel shame for something, that's cause you like, really screwed somebody over um somebody you care about mm. over um but yeah as far as being the destructive uh if you don't deal with it sure just just like any other emotion that has a negative effect on you if you don't appropriately deal with it it could absolutely be destructive mm. um and it can be constructive if you use it to better yourself and i think what we see a lot in society today is that People just decide it's bad and then don't use it at all in just like any other tool that goes unused. You know, if something needs fixing and you don't use that tool to fix it, that defect is going to come back and bite you eventually. Yeah. And so I, I think I think shame is one of those tools. It could be one of three, one of three things, either not used uh, and wasted, so to speak used for constructive purposes to build you or destructive to tear you down. Yeah. Uh, Victor Wicked, thank you so much for joining live. It's great to see you, my friend. He brings up a really interesting comment. He's seen shame used positively in kink scenes. I mean, that's a very positive way to use kink. If everyone's into it, why not? Yeah, hell yeah. Um, Self-shame can turn into depression, and that is very destructive, Jason says. And yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Absolutely true. The, the downside to that, well, the depression is the downside. But the downside to that statement is that 
the individual that's suffering shame isn't dealing with it or they don't feel like they're capable of dealing. They feel like the shame is too great or the act that's causing the shame within themselves is too much for them to handle, hence the sense of depression. And I would say for people like that, it's healthy to go outside of yourself to help work on yourself. Uh, not everyone is capable of dealing with everything that life throws at them or the random chaos of how their lives are in the moment. Uh, sometimes you need help. And that, I think, is when you could then turn the shame that you're feeling that's drowning you into a positive force again by seeking the help, knowing that you cannot yourself deal with what you're feeling. Because let's be honest, shame is it's an, it's an abstract notion that we're applying to things. It's not like this universal law that's handed down by some god. No. It's just people looking at other people saying, you shouldn't have done that. How dare you? Or you acting in a certain way saying, oh, I shouldn't have been doing that. Oh, I'm, right. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed. It's worse than embarrassment. I'm shamed. I'm ashamed that I did that. So it's a judgment that's being passed, but it's not something that is something that you have to feel. And again, right. you can right. turn it. You can mm -hmm. redirect it and refocus that energy into different ways, into different avenues. And I think that's really important. And depression of itself you know, that's, that's not always a symptom of shame. That is, that can be just a chemical imbalance. You know, that has, that could have right. nothing yeah, to do with right. any acting of, of yourself or someone else. That could just simply be your chemical imbalance is, is not good for you. You know, that's, that's literally it. So always yeah. use, use yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that point is, is exactly right on. Yeah. That's if, if the person who feels the shame, whether it's justified or not, they, they're, they're still feeling it. If they, right. if they just don't know how to deal with it one way or the other, either internally, or like you said, use uh, an external source, then yeah, that, that, that's, that's when it can eat away, eat away at somebody and, and bring them, bring them down from the inside out. Okay. So let me ask you a question. The people who don't feel any shame for anything, are they are they heroes or are they villains? Because I wrestle with this idea that they're either the greatest <clears throat> people on the planet because they feel no shame about anything or they're quite possibly the worst people on the planet because they should feel shame for something, damn it. What do you by, by our by like our our standards, right? Yeah, yeah. so so that so I guess that could that's a great third side of third side way of looking at it is they're as indulgent as you can possibly get as a human being, right? You know, they, they're, they're living their lives to their fullest and they are happy as shit with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And to hell with other people thinking, why should they feel shame for that? And I mean, I, I, from what I've seen, what I read every single day, I'm absolutely positive that that's uh, an overriding mindset in a lot of people these days. So <laughs> So yeah, is yeah. What what do what do we think about that? Where where that exactly what what I just what we we just said that sounds an awful lot like what Satanists say they kind of believe in, with the exception of you know not screwing over people that you know don't deserve it. Right. Because uh, uh, that would be the only caveat, right? Is is that they're doing harm to other people that don't deserve that harm. That that could be like the one the one flying that ointment. Right. But I mean, if they're just going out and they want to do drugs and do drugs and they want to drink and you know all that other stuff, as long as they're not hurting anyone else, 
And why should they feel shame? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, and I, I, I go left and right on this bouncing around on the idea because, you know, I, I don't have any personal shame going about my life because I'm living within the boundaries of, um, that I've set for myself, but also when I'm out and about with other people, I act according to those rules. I don't, I don't just say, you know, to hell with the conventional ideas of um, uh, respect and um, politeness. You know, no, I, I actually adjust to the rules of the environment that I exist in in the moment. And so when I'm in my professional life, I act a certain way. When I'm with my friends, I act a very different way. When I'm on right. the show, I act differently than I act when the camera's turned off. So, you know, the, the guiding lines that I use to direct myself, um, it's always walking around any potential shame based on those that I'm around. If I didn't have any shame, then I wouldn't care how I acted around anyone. And I probably wouldn't have the success right. that I have in my personal life and my professional life. <clears throat> I certainly don't think I would have any of the friends that I, I have right now. Um, I think it would actually be abjectly dangerous to my ability to get along in society. And I think one of the, the biggest problems we have in our society is that too many people are saying that it's okay to have no shame, to do your own thing. You're perfect the way you are. Everyone else should adjust to you, not yeah. you adjust to the standard yeah. and norms of the society that you live yeah. in. Yeah, I, I, th I think you're exactly correct on that as, as well. And that's what I've noticed. I'm, I'm not big on social media, but, uh, you know, read the news and you read the comments, you know, on various websites and that's 90% of them is, you know, how it's like, yeah, don't, don't, don't you worry. Like you said, every, everything you're doing is perfect. You're you and don't let anyone tell you, tell you different. Yeah. And if somebody dares to suggest that maybe what you did was kind of jacked up, then that shamer gets shamed by everybody else. Yeah. So, so, so shamers get shamed themselves. <laughs> um, uh, going on that, uh, let, let me read this off because this is this is a reference from the second paper, and it fits in with what what you just said. Uh, some conceptions of shame uh, is considered uh, self-blaming emotion, and claim um, that emotions like that are crucial for the development and maintenance of interpersonal relationships, because they act as important social regulators by encouraging a balance between the individual's urges and the rights and needs of others. So. So that that fits in perfectly with the framework of a society. Mm -hmm. We do live in society. They society has rules. We can ignore those rules if you if we want to, but like you just indicated, you're not going to have the job you have. You're not going to have the house you have. Your wife would probably kick you out, mm -hmm. and 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 so you wouldn't really be able to to function unless you wanted to go to a, a militia camp in Montana. You know, that's <laughs> that'd be the only other option. <laughs> that's my end game <laughs> yeah um i was just thinking about this when you were saying that um can you be an effective lesser magic practitioner an effective witcher warlock in your life if you don't at least acknowledge shame you may not feel it but you understand the notion of it because you have to operate in others boundaries and manipulate those boundaries with that understanding, their understanding, playing by their rules. That's how lesser magic works. You're adjusting your behaviors to expectations and manipulations. So an, 
if you don't have any shame and you don't acknowledge any shame, can you even be a successful Satanist? Uh, I don't see why you can't use shame against your target. Mm -hmm. Know, know how to know, know your target, know the individual who's in your way. And nothing says you can't use, you can't use shame to, to work on them a little bit, but in order to do that, you, you, you need to know the concept of it, need to know it exists and need to know its power and how to use it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting. Let me, let me know what you guys think in the chat. Um, I think uh, that's a pretty good place to, to wrap up this conversation. Is there anything you wanted to add to it before we move on? Uh, no, I, I, I think uh, we, we covered everything I, I had in mind. Um, I mean, if we had five hours, we could do a much deeper dive yeah. and go yeah. into all the little offshoots. Cause you know, this, this, this is one of those conversations that has tons of branches to it and mm. you just go down a philosophical rabbit hole and never come back. But yeah, yeah I think this is a good, this is a good, good spot. Okay. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Well, thank you all for uh, indulging in it with us. And uh, let's move on to a little Infernal Informant. Zach's response. <laughs> Do you see the chat? At all? No, I can't. Oh man. Oh god, that was great. He says, uh, "Now I have to poop with the door open to test my shame response." <laughs> <clears throat> Who says there's shame in that? <laughs> all right. Uh, I did not see the image that I threw up there throughout that whole conversation, and I think it's because I had hit it. So here's this one. Sorry about that, people. All right, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, and the Weimar Republic. History's dark lesson. This is from Salon.com. Now, I don't agree with every idea in this, but I thought it was a great place to have a conversation, and that's why I'm bringing this up. If Donald Trump movement is destined to be America's answer to Nazism, then the Joe Biden administration is currently a rough equivalent of the Weimar Republic, the unstable constitutional democracy that governed Germany before the rise of Adolf Hitler. The comparison is imperfect, but the cautionary tale is clear. There's an obvious risk that the Biden and the narrow Democratic majorities in Congress will fail, and that the Trump or a successor will take over and then cement themselves into power for at least the next generation. Every American who wants to avoid this, especially Biden and the leading Democrats in Congress, needs to learn the right lessons from Germany in the 1920s and 1930s. It would require a medium-length academic article to lay out all of the similar and dissimilar qualities of these two nations in these two different periods. But for the purposes of understanding the threat proposed by Trump, there are five key similarities. One, both sagas began with an incompetent right-wing ruler. In Germany's case, they had the misfortune of being led by Kaiser Wilhelm II, who has been described as viewing other people in instrumental terms as a compulsive liar and possessing a limited understanding of cause and effect. That sounds more than a little bit like Donald Trump, whose administration was plagued with scandal and who failed to effectively manage the COVID-19 pandemic. On both occasions, the ruler was eventually removed from power through losing both World War I and the German Revolution in the case of the former and losing the 2020 election in the case of the latter. Two, both stories continued because of a big lie. 
Hitler appealed to nationalist sentiments by claiming that Germany had actually won World War I, but been betrayed behind the scenes by a conspiracy of socialists and Jews. Trump, who displays narcissistic traits and has spent years telling people that any election he loses is by definition stolen from him, has without evidence or any logical argument insisted that Biden cheated in 2020. Another defeated president might have been dismissed as a pathological sore loser, but Trump's cult of personality is so strong that his Trumper tantrum has now become a defining part of republicanism. Three, both use their big lies to break democratic norms. In Hitler's case, he became a de facto legal dictator shortly after rising to power. Because America has a much longer history of unbroken democratic government than Germany did in 1933, things will be trickier for the Trumpists. In Trump's case, he became the first president to lose an election and refused to accept the results. There have been 10 previous defeated presidents and all accepted the voters' verdict, as well as the first to incite an insurrection to stay in power. Trump is now reportedly fueling conspiracy theories that he could still overturn the election, just as significantly Republicans are using his big lie to restrict voting in Democratic-leaning groups throughout the country. Through these methods, they must make it possible for Republicans to steal future elections, presidential and local, through means created to, quote, fix the problems that manufactured through their big lie. No doubt there will be many future big lies. Four. Both Hitler and Trump use fascist tactics to win over their supporters. These include appeals to nationalism, vilification of out-groups, and conditioning their followers to use self-expression as a substitute for authentic political self-agency. It helps when they can create a cult of personality around the leader figure. And lastly, five. Both may wind up using their legal troubles to create resurrection narratives. Hitler famously served nine months in prison for participating in a failed coup d'etat known as the Beer Hall Pooch. Pooch? Pooch? I can't write. It's been a while since I've taken German. Uh, Trump may go to prison for anything and everything from his own coup attempt to the numerous financial crimes alleged against him. If he's convicted, he will likely be held up as a martyr. If he doesn't, that fact will be cited as vindication. Because of these similarities, it is unfortunately conceivable that Trump will complete his takeover of the Republican Party, generously assuming he has not already done so, and the Trumpists will win every future election because of their various voter suppression laws and Orwellian propaganda. We face a future in which Trump's brand of right-wing politics is not only empowered, but virtually impossible to dislodge. My guess is the process will start gaining steam soon, win some important victories in the 2022 midterm elections, and then climax with either Trump or a Trumpist elected in 2024. So, before I go on with this, what do you think about that premise? Um, it's not sound, it's not, it's not exact, you know, A to B, but, I mean, there's some interesting bullet points being hit there. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, uh, I... I didn't get a chance to read that article ahead of time, but listening to you uh, go through the bullet points, um, yeah, there's there's strong there's strong parallels. You have you have, you have um, one group that wants to be totalitarian. I didn't say that right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, and they know how to get their crowd going. Mm -hmm. They 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 know. They, patriotism, nationalism, they, they, they slogans, chanting. I mean, they they 
one thing you can say about Trump and his crew, they know how to incite a crowd. Yeah, they do. And they, and they know how to get people out and cast their votes for them. And they also know how to train their people to invoke fear in the competition. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that that could be one of the things we very well see uh, in the midterms is people afraid to go to the the polls because there's going to be guys hanging out there with AK-47s waiting for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, th- there are regional laws to protect this type of action and, and others like any voter suppression laws. But there's a lot of laws being passed right now and have been passed since the last election to actually disenfranchise and reduce the possibility of everyone voting on a regular basis. So for a democracy that is supposed to be a representation of its populace, preventing its populace from actually having a say is an interesting take. Uh, So let me go on with this really quick. None of that will be impossible... um, None of that will be possible as long as Republicans in the Senate can filibuster legislation to death. Uh, Even though Democrats have a theoretical majority in a 50-50 Senate because of Vice President Kamala Harris's tie-breaking vote, two Democrats, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kristen Sinema of Arizona, have infamously refused to support ending the filibuster. Their rationale is that a British Prime Minister, Neville Chamberlain, who notoriously gave part of a Czechoslovakia to Germany and thereby emboldened Hitler, like Chamberlain, they want to appease the far-right extremists in their midst. Today, this means legislation that would protect voting rights, investigate the Trumpist coup effort, and help America's economy recover from the COVID-19 pandemic is still unnecessarily thwarted or watered down by Republicans bent on reclaiming power. While Biden has expressed frustration with Manchin and Cinema, there's no way near enough. Biden and other leading Democrats need to make it clear that if Manchin and Cinema do not support ending the filibuster, they will suffer serious political consequences. The Trumpists understand this principle when they stripped Re- uh, Representative Liv Cheney of Wyoming of her position in the House Republican leadership because she wouldn't back the big lie. In their quest to make America forever Trumpist, they will tolerate no dissent. When it comes to what Democrats must do to stop Manchin and Cinema, however, the goal is not to suppress dissent, but to make sure that those who do suppress dissent can't rise to power. If Manchin and Cinema refuse to do something reasonable to stop them, the Democratic Party must make them suffer politically for it. To quote JFK, uh, J- John F. Kennedy's final speech, which he never got to deliver because he was assassinated, quote, This is a time for courage and a time for challenge. Neither conformity nor complacency will do. Neither fanatics nor the faint-hearted are needed. Consider the nightmare scenario. Cinnamon and Mancha um, switch parties and Democrats lose control of the Senate. As bad as that might be, it would also force Republicans to shoulder some of the blame for political gridlock and might be preferable to Democrats being seen as impotent because two bad senators are blocking their entire agenda. If Biden can't get Manchin and Cinema to stop supporting the filibuster and back their agenda, then they deserve to be effectively treated as Republicans, even if they remain nominal Democrats. Biden can still creatively use executive power or at least somewhat follow the next step. And that step is to make sure that he adequately addresses the people's legitimate needs. The Weimar Republic fell, in part, because of the widespread economic hardships that the government simply could not fix. Biden needs to make sure that the vast majority of Americans feel economically secure, safe from threats foreign and domestic, like terrorists and pandemics, 
and protected from long-term existential, I said that wrong, existential crises like global warming, plastic pollution, and income equality, uh, inequality. Any legislation passed anywhere in the nation that limits citizens' access to voting must be stricken from the books. Lies spread in bad faith to discourage voting, from Trump claiming he won in 2020 to myths about mail-in ballots, have to be proactively rebutted. It is essential to expect Biden to be a revolutionary, even if Manchin and Cinema do not uh, do stop playing God, but he is capable of doing a lot entirely on his own. Whenever possible, he must be bold. And finally, Biden must make sure that we never forget January 6th. Just as George W. Bush's presidency was defined by his response to 9-11 terrorist attack, so too will Joe Biden's be defined by whether he can make the January 6th into a cornerstone of our political consciousness. If he can do that, he will be able to make sure that the Trumpist's anti-democratic philosophy, which poses a far more dangerous threat to America than Islamic terrorism, is known by all but its followers for what it is. This won't be easy, but we don't have a choice. A century ago, one of the world's great powers collapsed into authoritarian evil with astonishing rapidity. While monarchists and major capitalists believe Adolf Hitler was a clown they could control, the opponents were divided, confused, and ineffective. Aspects of that history are repeating themselves. And the question now is whether we have learned from the mistakes of the past to alter the outcome. I think that is a fantastic article. Whether you agree with it or not, it's an interesting approach because we have two people in the Democratic Party stopping all progress, period. Two. And they're Democrats. So you can't stand back. The Republican Party has always been the party of we will not support the Democrats, even if it's nope. our proposed legislation. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and, the, and I, that cracks me up, too, because in the Obama administration, that would happen all that. I read at least a couple times it happened where they proposed something. Yeah. Obama said, okay. Then the, the Republicans were like, oh, wait, never mind. We, we, we changed our mind. We don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, just, just out of pure spite. Although I, I don't envy the decision to get rid of the filibuster because that's one of those that's that's it's one of those you're you're setting a precedent that that will now forever be there. So the next time a different party is in power, they now can just say, "Well, you guys did it then. We get rubber stamped on this one without even a fight." So that is a brutal yeah. precedent to to try to turn over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if they want to get their agenda done at all, that's that's probably what they're going to have to do. If if these two senators are um, are, are going to uh, stick with their guns, uh, I'm not real familiar with their constituents. Mm -hmm. They might be they might be doing their constituents' wishes, and that's is kind of their job. That yeah, no, that I think that's a really important point to to bring up because. It's one that is often forgotten that as soon as someone goes to be a representative, we expect that the majority of people that put them there are the only ones that count anymore. And that's just not the truth. The truth is, is Manchin and Cinema, they're in two districts that are very mixed. They're purple as purple can get. And so they're, they're in a really tough spot trying to not only placate their Republican and Democrat supporters, but also trying to support their Democratic peers in uh the house in the senate like they they how do you reconcile those two very different things and the only thing i think you can do is understand that those uh 
in these two cases, the Republicans in your constituency did not vote for you. They did not elect you. It was the Democrats that did because you're a Democrat, supposedly. And those Republicans that did vote for you are ones that are more even keeled and see both sides of an argument, not so much, you know, on the Trumpist cult side of it um, right. or the hardcore Republican side of it, or else they just wouldn't have voted for you in the first place. Um, right. <clears throat> and in that light, I think it is important that you need to do what you as an individual then who was voted into power as a Democrat should do for democracy, not for Republicans or Democrats. And I, I don't I, I don't for any second think that getting rid of the filibuster is not going to bite someone in the ass in the future because it definitely is. Mm. But the fact is, is that it has stopped all progressive legislation from health care to mm -hmm. voting rights to uh, minority rights and on and on. Employer, I'm sorry, um, uh, employee rights. It, it has done nothing but stopped any progress. And we saw it all throughout the Obama administration when the Republicans, Mitt Connell came out and said, we will not work with Democrats, period. And they didn't. And now we're seeing it in the Biden administration when same guy McConnell says, we are not supporting Democrats, period. And so every time the Democrats and Biden and uh, every senator caves into some sort of whim that uh, demand that Republicans put on the table in order to get their vote to go along with them, and then they get burned, they seem not to learn that they don't want to work with you. They pretend right. it, they complain, they put up roadblocks, and as soon as you mm -hmm. concede to them, you're starting from a position of weakness because they're never going to work with you even after you've con uh, conceded to their demands. And it's been proven over and over mm -hmm. again. And yeah. so when you have these sort of willy-nilly, you know, I want to be on both sides of an issue type Democrats who are stopping all progress, I mean, what are you supposed to do? What, what can you do other than shut them down, kick them out, and move forward in a progressive... And here's the other side of that. <clears throat> Let's say they, the Democrats end the filibuster, and in the next term or the term after that, a Republican comes into power, and then they start passing legislation. Okay, that's, that's, the, that's, how, that's how our government works. That's how our system yeah. of government works. It, and then the Democrats would be like, damn, I wish I had the filibuster. But then they'll also be able to have some tangible results saying, look, you voted for Republicans, and this is what they did. This is what they did. gave tax <laughs> cuts yeah. to the top 1%, which was the lowest part of the Trump administration for all of his own supporters. They all hated that. And so it was like 87% of his own supporters hated that he did that. So mm -hmm. you have tangible results of, of saying that, look, when they're in power, this is what you get. So don't vote for them. But when you don't have that, you don't have the consequence there, and you just have the, the, um, the roadblock and way, then Republicans can just say, look, we stopped Democrats from uh, moving forward with their communist liberal agenda, you know, with no well, proof it, to the contrary. And they're going to conveniently forget the part that they're the ones that stopped progress. And in the end, they're just going to say, look, Democrats were here for four years. They got nothing accomplished. Yeah. Ignoring the fact that the reason why they didn't get anything accomplished is because they deliberately exactly. stood in their way. Exactly. <laughs> so I, with, with that frame, 
I think we have to. I mean, just me personally, I think we have to get rid of the filibuster. I don't think it's even an option. All it has done has stopped two administrations from passing anything worthwhile yeah. to benefit the populace of this country, red and blue or purple or whatever the hell you, you, you fall under, if anything at all. If we want any progress, we have to go back to how the laws were written. And that's 50% is all you need to pass legislation because you have the vice president. And that's it. No yeah. supermajority bullshit, no filibuster stopping progress. That's it. Elections mm. should have consequences. And those consequences, ironically, can actually benefit people in the end if they just allow them to happen. <laughs> it's crazy. It's some way, sometimes the way to prove that a problem exists is to sit back and let the problem exist. And see, <laughs> there it is. Yeah, mm. yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it's always a tough conversation to have because people do tend to fall down party lines or ideological lines. Um, but... You know, when we had that great recession in, I think it was 08, I was always of the mind that we should just, as a country, suffer. We shouldn't be propped up. We shouldn't have allowed the banks to um, loan the banks so much money and then, you know, have them. Uh, they actually did end up paying it back, but there were no consequences to it. You know, no one went to prison. Uh, you know, there were some fall guys yeah, that did some jail that. time. But there should have been greater consequences to our society so that we could then build back up. Because what's happened is we're in the same spot right now. Now there are massive um, uh, uh, balloons happening in real estate right now all around our country, which mm -hmm. was the same problem we had in 08 before the Great Recession. And that bubble is going to burst again. It will always burst because yeah, it's being propped up by The reason life. why we got our house so at the price we did is because we got it after foreclosure from that exact bubble. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, dudes, but it kind of worked <laughs> out. <clears throat> hey, take uh, advantage. That's it. Yeah, and, and we're not moving out of this house, so we're all set. So, mm -hmm. so the inflation, even if the bubble pops, we're good. We're not yeah. going anywhere. Um, I, 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 see the, I see a use for um, the minority not being completely completely made lame ducks but there's there has to be something better than the filibuster you, you, right. you gotta have something more reasonable than that i mean you, you don't want to like completely give them zero power they should have some kind of say some kind of fight but but the 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 amount of power that they have as the minority is, is way out of whack it's way mm -hmm. out of balance yeah. it's like the the reason for winning all these elections and having 50 plus you know more than 50 percent is so that you can get your stuff done yeah. <laughs> and, and now and now the minority can completely come bring things to a complete halt that 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 just doesn't add up no it, yeah i agree it, it's absurd um all right well that's enough of that thank you guys so much what do you guys have to say in the chat before we move on um as long as poo-pooing identity politics doesn't stifle the social growth blacks and lgbtqiak oh my gosh Q oh that's so many humans still need I knew about the QIA. I didn't. I don't even know what K means. What K stands for? If someone can educate me, I'd appreciate it. Uh, if Dems want to win, do the stuff the base wants: legalization, M4A, UBI, student loan forgiveness, etc. Stop playing. Yeah, no, that's the only way they're going to win. Because if they continue doing what they're doing now, which is nothing, uh, they will lose in the next election. Period. And Republicans yeah, they, will they, be back in power. I, I personally think Biden is giving the republicans way way too much time to screw around with the infrastructure bill it's like they, every week it's like he's they're they're messing with the numbers messing with the numbers it's been like how many months now yeah. 
and and, and it's it's just not coming together. It's it, nothing I've read shows that the Republicans are going to come close enough to do what the Dems want to do. So it's so yeah, it's 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 like how much time are you going to give them to do exactly what you just said? Just turn around and end up not agreeing anyway. Yeah, and and they've been proven to do that over and over again in this presidency mm-hmm. already. Mm-hmm. So they just need to stop playing games, stop trying to kowtow, and mm-hmm. just force their legislation through. Because what's going to happen is it's actually going to benefit people if they it, do it's, it. It's it's going to work, and that and hopefully that'll show up in 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 yeah. the hopefully for the Dems that the Democrats for for their. Um, for their own uh, political health that that shows up at, at the polls because people because the the fence riders might actually then see okay I'm I'm not gonna throw my vote away so to speak on an independent I'm actually going to vote for vote for a Democrat this time yeah, yeah. Um, but if history tells us anything I mean it's it's one Republicans will never concede to anything a Democrat proposes and two Democrats will always find a way to bungle it. they're good at it you gotta stick with what you know practice practice yeah all right let's do a little creature feature and close this out oh i didn't realize what time it was we gotta be quick oh yeah Uh, i haven't seen it so i'll just sit back and listen okay (laughs) i'll be quick poster up here and i will uh dive into this i watched this at the theater and we waited for theaters to reopen and for us to get our vaccinations so that we could go to the theater and watch this Uh, this is definitely a theater experience the the first quiet place i watched it there were so many people in the audience because again it was pre-pandemic uh popcorn candy wrappers sodas uh, you know that that squeaky sound that the straw makes when it moves in and out of the the cup at the top of the the soda the sort of lid, um, all that was non-existent. This film, the first one, forced people to just hold their breath because it was so quiet and so just uh, so much anxiety happening on screen that you just felt like you too had to be quiet. And if you like crunched, you felt shame. You felt bad because you were ruining it for everyone else because everyone was just in the zone. Uh, much fewer people in the theater on this one, again, you know, the pandemic, but same situation. It was amazing. It was a theater experience that you don't normally get. Like you go to one of those summer blockbuster films and you get people, everyone's cheering, everyone's super loud and chatting with each other and having a good time. You go to a horror film and people are like screaming at the screen and just having a good old time. This was just dead silent. (laughs) Everyone was just like, (gasps) Oh my gosh, don't say anything because you don't want to be the one person to make the sound. I had lifted up the soda to take a sip and the straw went a little bit and everyone turned and looked at me. Everyone being my family, like, how dare you? Because I scared them because it was so tense. This was a brilliant film. All right, so let me get into this. IMDb has it at 7.9 out of 10, which I think is a travesty. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 91% certified fresh with a 93% audience score. And I think that is on the money. It is a great, great film. The logline is, 
Following the events at home, the Abbott family now face the terrors of the outside world. Forced to venture into the unknown, they realize the creatures that hunt by sound are not the only threats lurking beyond the sand path. So in order to sort of set this up, if you're not familiar with The Quiet Place, there's a sort of, um, from the first one, this isn't a spoiler, it's just, it, it's the purpose of the whole, the whole setup of the show. There's aliens that have landed, this alien species, that hate sound. And so they use it to, uh, you know, sort of target their prey and then and kill them. But they, it actually hurts them. And so in the first film, that's actually used as a weakness in order to um, save the lives of the family. And in that, they actually lose the one you know, key part of the family. I don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't seen it. Um, it had a $61 million budget. The box office just so far is $96 million. It was put off a year because of the pandemic to be released. It's directed and written by John Krasinski with some of the character work being written by John, uh, Scott Beck and Brian Woods. It stars Emily Blunt as Evelyn Abbott, John Krasinski as Lee Abbott, Millicent Simmons as Reagan Abbott, Noah Jupe as Marcus Abbott, and Killian Murphy as Emmett. If you guys don't know Killian Murphy, he's an amazing actor, in my opinion. Uh, I first became apparent, uh, aware of him in uh, 20 Days Later, which was amazing. And then he has since been just on a bunch of stuff. Um, some of it I haven't actually seen all the way through. But anyway, uh, so the the whole thing revolves around the family, right? The whole first film was about the family existing and finding ways to exist in this really sort of post-apocalyptic, alien, invasive world and trying to thrive as a family, even having a baby and finding way, creative ways to keep the baby quiet, you know, so that it doesn't draw in these aliens to kill them and stuff. But also realizing that there's this larger world out there of other survivors doing exactly what they're doing. So the beginning of the second film that I just watched, um, it's before the first one. It's like day zero when the uh, aliens that like come to the, the planet, and this is seen in the trailer, so I'm not ruining anything, but it's like the aliens are first attacking civilization and people and people are losing their shit trying to survive. It is the greatest opening act of a film I've ever seen in my life. So much action and suspense and jump scares, but also a heart and the love of the connection of the family unit and what you realize about these quiet place films is that yes it's categorized as horror yes it's scary but the strength lies in the love that these characters have for each other and the character arcs that they move through i hate to cut this off um this soon because it is a worthy conversation to have about a film maybe i'll do a satanist on cinema about it it's that good i highly recommend everyone check it out a quiet place to Part two is in theaters right now. Uh, you can also, well, I think it's just in theaters, actually. I don't think it's on demand right now. Check it out. It's great. Thank you all so much for tuning in. And uh, Jason, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate you being gentle for my first time. <laughs> I lube the entry a little bit just to make it easy. I, I, I appreciate the, the personal touch. Yeah. Great conversation. And uh, I'll... I'll uh, have to rewatch it and and uh, read along with the chat since I can't see the chat. Yeah, to no, some of those comments. Um, I should have prepped you on how to how to see it beforehand, but we were we were trying to. I would have done it anyway. I would have been distracted. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> my, my my attention span can't go that far. Yeah. Well, definitely check it out because everyone was really really 
great in the chat. There's a lot of stuff that I'm going to go back and, and reread as well because I, I missed a lot of it myself. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. For those of you in the know, let's go to the thing. And for everyone else, have a great day. Until next time, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Thank you.